I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal's third round FA Cup victory at Oxford United. We'll be deep diving into that one and we'll be discussing the latest transfer news. We'll be talking Joao Felix, who's seemingly Chelsea bound. How do we feel about that? Um, disappointment, frustrated. What What is the general feeling around that? Because he's a player that I know a lot of Arsenal fans, including myself, were actually quite keen to see potentially come to the club. So we'll get into all of that. We're going to talk uh, Mikhailo Mudrik as well. What's the latest with regards to him? There were lots of tweets uh, doing the rounds last night, suggesting that perhaps a breakthrough had been made, but I'm not sure that that's entirely true. So we'll get into all of that. Uh, on this edition of the show. Big hello to everybody joining us live right now. Hope you're well. Uh, let's say hello to Matt, to Afsar, uh, to Temi, to Chad, to Oluwasun, uh, to Jinesh, to Jid, uh, to Julian, uh, to Steve, to Raphael, to Ryan, uh, and to Kun as well. To everybody in the live chat. Hope you're good. Hope you're well. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit weird today because obviously I'm happy with the result. I'm happy with the fact that we came through what had the potential to be a, a banana skin away trip in the FA Cup. Um, that's kind of, I guess, diluted a little bit by the fact that we now have to go to Manchester City, who we know, even when they play a second string, are superior to us. When we play a second string, that is. And, you know, we we kind of need to probably stick to what we've done in the cup so far, just because the Premier League is of huge importance and because, of course, the Europa League is a greater priority than the FA Cup this season. So, yeah, so the, the win at Oxford has kind of been diluted a little bit by the fact that Manchester City would be our next opponents in the cup. And that's going to be obviously very, very difficult. And then you add to that the fact that it looks like Arsenal are going to miss out on one of the players that I thought should have been right at the top of the priority list in terms of who we could get in during this window. We talk a lot about taking opportunities in the transfer market when you don't have a state behind you, when you don't have uh, a Roman Abramovich type owner, you need to capitalise on opportunities that present themselves in the transfer window. And I really did feel like João Felix was one of those. I think a lot of people have sort of written him off um, as a player over the last sort of 12, 18 months. I think a lot of people you know, a kind of trying to convince themselves now that he's not Arsenal bound, that actually we've dodged a bit of a bullet and actually that's all good and that's all fine. I'm not totally convinced by that either. I think when you look at Martin Erdegaard as a prime example of a player who wasn't pulling up trees at Real Madrid, wasn't getting opportunities, mind, but even when he did, um, you know, they weren't amazing. He wasn't amazing. When he went out on loan to a number of clubs, he did well, but not, you know, not, as well as what would then sort of create expectations that are around him, like the expectations that are around him now. I beg your pardon, my phone should be on silence. Terrible. Um, yeah, it's it's hard because what you're trying to do as Arsenal Football Club right now is you're you're clearly trying to invest in young talent, of which I guess Jao Felix still falls into that category. 
but you're also trying to bring in players that maybe haven't kicked on, maybe haven't fulfilled their potential so far, hence why they're available in the first place. And you want to try and turn those players around and, and make good on those investments. But João Felix is, is Chelsea bound. We'll, we'll discuss that situation in particular in detail in a little bit. Uh, but for now, let's let's focus on the game. Lots of questions in the chat. Um, lots of Lakonga talk. We will do the Lakonga bit uh, during this review of the game. Don't worry. Uh, if I could just quickly remind you to leave a like on the video while you're here. Uh, subscribe to the channel. If you're new, if you're listening on audio, then please do uh, leave us um, a review on there as well. It really does help. And just a quick reminder that if you want to sign up to the Chronicles of Aguna Premium exclusively over on the Another Slice platform, you can do that. Uh, yesterday, uh, following the game, uh, we put out, uh, well, I put out my Oxford United nil, Arsenal 3. Post-match player ratings shared a few initial thoughts on the game and you will get those pieces of content uh, within about an hour of the full-time whistle after every single Arsenal game. The pod, the full podcast will be now the, the morning after because with me being at a lot of games and, and working on a lot of games, I'm finding it really difficult to get home at ridiculous hours and then do podcasts straight away and, and make sure that they're to the level that I want them to be. I got home last night at probably about half past 12. And by the time I, I sort of sat down and, and sort of, you know, got changed and, and you know, looked at the time, it was it was one o'clock and I thought, man, I got an early start in the morning. I'm not going to do a good job of a podcast now. So I leave it to the morning, which is why if you want uh, access to stuff on the day, if you, you're desperate for that reaction, basically, if you just enjoy the content and you want a little bit more, uh, then you can sign up on the Another Slice platform. And with that, you'd not only be supporting me, the podcast, you'd be supporting the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital, with whom we are making donations to on a monthly basis from the membership pot. So, yeah, good causes all round, I guess. But anyway, um, that last bit of content is is out. It was out last night. Um, I uploaded it from the car. There you go, dedication. But anyway, let's get into the game itself. So I actually think that from the off, Mikel Arteta got the team wrong. And... I'll explain my reasons why. I remember in the preview show, I said to you guys that I felt that we needed probably to go with Xhaka in midfield and that we probably needed to play one of, of Gabriel or Saliba at centre-back. And he, he did that. He went with Gabriel. I thought it would be Saliba, but clearly, you know, Mikel Arteta's looked at it a little bit differently. I felt that Saliba's not quite been at it since he's come back. He's been a little bit below the levels that we know he can play at and maybe... You know, him, um, you know, playing again against an opponent where he should have a relatively comfortable evening would help him sort of work his way back to form. Mikel Arteta saw that differently and decided that actually it's probably better that he's taken out of the, the picture completely and, and Gabriel can play the game. And that's fine. Look, there was, what, six days, five days, whatever it was between uh, the Newcastle game, six days between the Newcastle game and this one, and then another six or so days uh, between, of course, uh, the game that took place last night and the North London derby that's coming up at the weekend. So you can understand why Mikel Arteta felt or feels that there are players that can play in both of those games and it not be a major, major problem. Where I think he got the team wrong was in midfield. So I, I said to you guys that I thought he'd play in Ketia because there isn't an alternative option at centre-forward at the moment. That's all we've got. So I knew that Nketiah would play. 
I wondered if Martinelli or Saka would play. I, I suggested that our forward line without both of them might be a little bit too weak, you know, with Reese Nelson out as well at the moment. And, and, you know, Marquinhos maybe not quite being ready yet. You, you looked at it and you thought, well, maybe one of those guys needs to play. What I would have probably done is played one of them, stuck Fabio Vieira in one of the wide positions as Mikel Arteta has done in the past and included Granit Xhaka in that midfield to give us a bit more stability and a bit more control. And I think when the game kicked off, so we lined up with obviously Turner in goal, Tommy Asu at right back. It was Holding and Gabriel at centre-backs with Tierney at left back. And then in midfield, it was Elneny, Lokonga, Vieira. And then it was Saka, Martinelli and Enketia. On paper, it looks strong enough. But I think what people were missing, and, and I was talking to some, some colleagues yesterday in the press box about this, is that Without a Granite Xhaka or a Thomas Partey in the midfield, we A, don't have any physical control, in my opinion, and B, we don't have an ability to break lines with our passing. It's all very sideways. It's all very nice. You know, Fabio Vieira is a creative player. He, he is someone that can split defences open. But the problem we've got is that we look at players like Fabio Vieira, we look at players like, like Sambi Lakonga, who we're going to talk about at length in a minute, and we judge them in disjointed Arsenal teams. And yes, there is a responsibility on the part of those two players to, you know, grab the game by the scruff of the neck, grab the ball by the horns, as people say. Um, you know, all of that stuff. You, you still have to remember the context in which they're playing and the environment in which they're being put out to, to produce him because it doesn't help them. And that's that's the reality of it. People don't want to admit that. And People would prefer to be hypercritical of, of certain players. But the truth is, that's a big thing. So we started the game, I thought, with a real lack of rhythm. There was no rhythm whatsoever. Arsenal were not knocking the ball around the way that they do. The passing, when it went into midfield from the back line, was very safe, uh, which is what you're going to get from Mohamed Elneny. You know, people sing his praises. And, and yes, he's a decent squad option. But in terms of progressing the ball, we all know that he's very limited in that. We all know that that's not something that he does to good effect. So the passing in midfield was very safe. Therefore, we weren't able to break lines, get onto Oxford's back line. We tried to create a couple of overloads in the wide areas uh, on a few occasions, and that worked. Um, I can remember both the fullbacks getting forward and working crosses into the penalty area, but it's about the types of crosses as well. I mean, Kieran Tierney frustrated me a little bit last night. I know a lot of people were saying, yeah, it's Kieran Tierney. You know, he's good. Um, you know, get off his back sort of thing. He's got this tendency to want to cross the ball into the penalty area really early. Sometimes Martinelli will get held up down the left wing and he'll cut it back to him on the edge of the box. And his first instinct is, is to just whip it into the penalty area. Eddie Nketiah has no chance against a couple of, what is it, League One, League Two, powerhouse centre forwards, League One uh, centre forwards, you, you're not going to get anywhere near them. And that is what they want. That is what they want you to do. What they don't want is you to try and be intricate. What they don't want is you to run at them. What they don't want is you to try and be tricky and expose spaces. They want to deal with balls that they can see coming from wide areas. They've got time to set their body, set themselves and clear them with ease. And we played into their hands a little bit in the first half. Were they threatening? Um, no, not really. I remember sort of watching the game at the time and obviously being inside the Kassam Stadium, which is a weird, weird place, by the way. We'll talk about that in a bit. Remind me. Um, but, you know, they, they broke forward on a couple of occasions. It never really came to anything. Nothing ever really materialised. 
But when you've got the crowd behind you and the crowd get up on their feet and they start chanting and singing, it can make you feel as an away side that you're under more pressure than actually you really are in reality. And and I certainly felt like that in the first half. And when I sort of reflected on it at half time, I was like, well, actually, have they really worked Matt Turner? Have we actually had anything defensively of, of significance to do? And the truth is no. So we go in at half time and you're looking at it and you're thinking, you know, it's not a disaster because we're not losing the game. We, we, we're on level terms. You know, they've probably been buoyed by the fact, though, that we've been a little bit lacklustre going forward and a little bit lacklustre in our build up. And that's exactly what you don't want to do when you come up against lower league opposition. We talk about the magic of the FA Cup all the time. We talk about teams going out on the pitch, especially in front of their own fans and going toe to toe with clubs that are two, three leagues above them. And, and really giving it a good go. And the reason they do that and the reason they can close the gap in a one-off game of football is not because their quality is of, of equal measure. It's because they believe. It's because you give them belief. They're spurred on. This is the game of their lives for a lot of these players. It's a huge, huge occasion for them. So the one thing you don't do is you don't give these teams reason to believe. You don't give these teams encouragement. And I think when you have lots of the ball but struggle to penetrate their back line, and struggle to create chances, you are giving them belief. You are starting to say to them or show them that, yeah, we might be Arsenal. We might have lots of talented players on the park. We might have players that cost more than your entire squad. But at the end of the day, you know, if if you don't put them to the sword, they will start to believe and they will start to think at some point, you know what, hold on, we're in this. We can give this a go. We can cause a problem. So halftime came along and I was a little bit frustrated by the first half performance. As I say, I wasn't calling it a disaster. I wasn't saying that that was it and that Arsenal were crashing out and that there was another big FA Cup shock on the cards. None of that. But it needed to improve and it needed to improve dramatically. And in the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half, I don't think it improved all that much. It improved a little bit. But when it really improved was when uh, Mikel Arteta made a couple of changes. He bought Granite Xhaka on to correct the mistake that I feel he made from the off. He brought Zinchenko on at left back, who made also a huge, huge difference. You then see players like Fabio Vieira come into their own when they've got the right players around them. And he produced, of course, a couple of assists. You then see people like Eddie and Ketia making those runs and, and not in vain anymore, making those runs in behind and being picked out. And obviously he scored a couple of goals as well. So, yeah, um, it really dramatically improved. Now, I said it was a mistake that Mikel Arteta made to go with the team that he did and for him not to, um, you know, to, to start a couple of those players from the off. But in hindsight, was it really a mistake? Because Granit Xhaka played 30 minutes at best and had enough of an impact for us to win the game. Alexander Zinchenko the same. So there's only 30 minutes uh, of of gas, you know, you've taken from the tanks of those two players, essentially ahead of the North London derby. So Mikel Arteta will tell you that actually it played out really well and actually it worked brilliantly. And, you know, those players were able to come on and impact the game with minimal effort, i.e. the time that they were on the pitch. And, and so happy days, we're in a good place and we move forward. Comprehensive win in the end, 3-0 was comfortable. Um, you know, you, you love that. Uh, you could feel sort of the energy being drained out of the Kassam Stadium every time Arsenal went forward after they scored the first. And the second came quite quickly and, and that was it. It was done. Um, game over. And then the third, lovely little finish from, from Eddie and Ketia. Really, really enjoyed that. 
and uh, and confidence is is flowing through him at the moment as well. Let's go through the team individually just quickly, and um, and we'll talk about those players. I did share my player ratings last night. Um, I said that I said that um, I would potentially revise some of them. Um, I said that I would potentially revise some of them if I sort of thought about it uh, overnight and changed my mind. I haven't really changed my mind on those player ratings. Uh, if you want to check them out, remember they are on the Another Slice platform. They are exclusive uh, to Chronicles of Aguna members on that platform. Remember, if you're a YouTube member, uh, please do make the jump over to Another Slice. Um, that's what we're doing going forward. I do appreciate the support. Um, I know that lots of you have messaged me and said, I'm happy to still stay a member on YouTube because it supports um, you know, and, and that's all good, but I want you to get the bang for your buck basically. So, um, yeah, if you want to check that out, please do, but yeah, let's go through the team. Matt Turner, I'm not going to really speak on him. I don't think he had much to do, but what he did do, he looked very comfortable in it. I thought Takahiro Tomiyasu was bad. I thought he was poor. I thought he was one of Arsenal's worst players on the pitch. He's looked really, really shaky for me of late. I just, I just don't see the same player that we all kind of fell in love with last season. I know he's had issues with injuries uh, at the start of the campaign. I know he's been in and out of the side as a result of that. And obviously, Ben White's superb form has, has also uh, played a part in him not playing with the regularity he'd like and, and therefore maybe his form suffering as a result. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he's he's just not the same player that he was. He doesn't look as assured defensively. I always looked at Tommy Asu and thought when he got forward, he looked a little bit clunky a little bit like Bambi on ice, a little bit uncomfortable. But defensively, he was so good. And given the way our system was working, where he was tucking inside along with the centre-backs and that was allowing the left-back to push into midfield, I thought actually it worked quite well. And I thought that it was a signing made uh, very specifically for that role. And, and obviously, Arsenal had looked at him and saw that he ticked a lot of those boxes and decided to pull the trigger on it. But yeah, he he defensively doesn't look right to me at the moment. And I, I don't know if it's one of those where he needs to play his way back into form, as I mentioned, might be the case with William Saliba, or if he needs to just be left out for a little bit. I, I don't really know. The interesting thing is that even in the Premier League games, uh, you know, against Newcastle the other night, Mikel Arteta opted to take Ben White off and bring Tommy Asu on. So he clearly still trusts him. But for me, looking at it from afar, I, I do worry a little bit about his form. Uh, Rob Holding is Rob Holding. I'm not going to sit here and go into the Rob Holding debate again because we've done it to death and Rob Holding is a limited centre-back. We all know that. Um, lovely guy, great character in and around the place. Happy for him to be a squad member. You get away with it at places like Oxford United, but you won't get away with it at Manchester City in the next round. That is for sure. Gabriel, very assured at the back, really enjoyed his performance. Very commanding, very comfortable. Didn't get phased by the fact that we were playing you know, away from home against a lower league side that were going to try and put it on us physically. He was very comfortable in that sense, um, as he tends to be. Kieran Tierney disappointed me a little bit as well. Now, again, I touched on it briefly already, but it wasn't about what he did defensively for me. It was about what he does with the ball. I don't know if Kieran Tierney was always like this and we just didn't see it. I don't know if we were conditioned as fans to see a fullback getting forward and getting into positions, even if the final ball wasn't always there. To be fair to him, at times it was. But I don't know if we almost conditioned ourselves to think, yeah, Kieran Tierney is amazing um, when he gets forward and, and, and is brilliant in his use of the ball because we hadn't seen anything better. Because I don't know about you guys, but ever since Alexander Sinchenko's come into the side, 
I know he's not as strong defensively, but the way he progresses the ball, the way he moves the ball, the, the thought behind some of his passes, the way he picks people out in really, you know, awkward spaces for defences to, to kind of go out and deal with. For me, he's taken our game to a completely different level in that sense. And, you know, we, we'll talk about the midfield in a minute, but Zinchenko obviously coming on yesterday at left back, but then tucking into that central position as he does, helped us as a team to progress the ball forward a lot better and a lot more effectively. So, um, yeah, a um, little bit underwhelmed by Kieran Tierney, if I'm being honest with you. The crossing into the box, it's just aimless. It's just not fit for purpose anymore. It's just not what we should be doing as a team when you look at the way we're equipped. If you've got Olivier Giroud up front, maybe work the ball into the box early. You might get something out of it. But at this moment in time, it's just not working for us. And, you know, is that him panicking? Is that a lack of composure? Is he down on confidence? Because Alexander Zinchenko has come into the club and, and taken his position, essentially, and made himself the number one. I don't know. You move into midfield, Mohamed Elneny, again, touched on him already. Very, very average when it comes to progressing the ball forward. Defensively, fills the right holes, protects the right spaces. I'll give him that. But the the lack of line-breaking passes in comparison to Thomas Partey, it's mad, isn't it? it it's really mad. And, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, you know, can Arsenal get someone to come in and, and help out in that position moving forward? There's talk that Mohamed Elneny could be on his way to Aston Villa. Unai Emery said to uh, want a, um, a sort of, uh, to be reunited with him. I don't know about that. And I don't know why Arsenal would allow that to happen without getting someone in, given how thin the squad already is, especially in midfield. I mean, you look at that midfield last night. We'll come on to the other players in a sec. And it's just miles below the first choice midfield. And that's a big bloody problem. Taking it on, uh, Lokonga. We'll have a bit of a lengthy discussion about Sammy Lekonga because uh, this is a big talking point off the back of last night. People are looking at um, Lekonga and wanting... People are looking at Lekonga and wanting to see him kick on and wanting to see him push on and wanting to see him, uh, you know, drive things forward and, and sort of fulfil the potential we all believed he had when he was brought into the club. We spent a, a fair amount of money on him. Um, for someone of his age. He came highly, highly recommended. I remember doing a lot of research on Albert Sambi Lakonga before that deal went through as well and thinking, do you know what? This guy's a top player. You know, he looks really comfortable on the ball, the way he picks it up off the back line and then drives into midfield and pings passes right and left. And I'm not saying he was ever at this level, but the player I compared him to in terms of his passing range, in terms of his ability to kind of stretch his legs and drive into areas and and attract the attention of others and then ping the ball off left and right was was a little bit like Patrick Vieira. Um, again, not saying that he's ever going to be Vieira levels before people jump on me in the comments, but I really did think that there was more that we were going to get out of Sambi Congo and it just hasn't happened. I think he is suffering from a lack of confidence. I think he is struggling with the fact that he's gone from being a key player at Anderlecht um, and now is somebody who is a bit part player. You know, he was the captain at Anderlecht. He was a, a huge part of what they were doing. He was a huge part of what they were building. Um, obviously, he's young and that obviously needs to be considered. Obviously, he is someone who, um, you know, is, uh, is, is wanting to kick on and wanting to develop, but also has to, at the same time, 
manage his adaptation to the Premier League and to the English game. He's got a totally different manager in Mikel Arteta who wants very different things out of his midfielders. But if you guys remember earlier in the season, I asked Mikel Arteta the question in a press conference. I said to him, you know, what have you made of Sambi Lakonga sort of? And what is his role to you? Because obviously he'd come in with the view to being the Thomas Partey prototype, right? That was what Arsenal sort of wanted. Mikel Arteta kind of alluded to that in response to the question I asked him as well, but then suggested that actually having watched him up close and having worked with him on the training pitch, the decision was taken that he's probably better suited to playing as an eight, as one of the more advanced midfielders. But I don't see him doing that either. I almost feel like Sambi Lakonga is your old school central midfielder. Wants to get forward a bit, wants to defend a bit, doesn't really suit having a specialist role you could argue that that makes him a jack of all trades and a master of none. But he just in this system, I just I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what I would do with him if I were Mikel Arteta, because he's not an eight and he's not a six. He's somewhere in between that. And in this current iteration of Mikel Arteta's team, I don't know what that what that means and, and what that means for him. He needs confidence, though. There's, listen, the guy's got talent. There's no there's no question about that. Having watched him in the past, having watched him in his early days at Arsenal when he was really confident and obviously riding off this wave of uh, of enthusiasm about being at a big new football club, you could see that when he was confident, he was playing the game to a much higher standard and to a much higher level. He doesn't want to try things anymore. He doesn't want to um, break lines. He doesn't want to carry the ball. He's very, very safe in everything that he does. And that, when you look at, his uh, previous is in stark contrast to what we're used to seeing from, from Sambi Lekonga. Andalek fans will tell you the same. So the only explanation for where Sambi Lekonga is at today is, is um, the only explanation for where Albert Sambi Lekonga is today is that he is seriously lacking in confidence. How do you build that back up? Well, you can't throw him in in the Premier League because right now he's not performing at the highest level and he's not performing at a level good enough for us to to justify that selection. He's got to go out on loan for me. He's got to go out on loan. He's got to go out there and he's got to play football and he's got to get that confidence back and and rebuild himself almost a little bit. I, I really do think that's the case. I think when he first come to the club, he was thrown in a little bit earlier than maybe was uh, planned because of injuries. I thought he handled that largely really well, but he's regressing since then. Maybe... Other players have kind of taken taken it forward. Granite Xhaka's level has gone crazy high. You know, Thomas Partey, we know what he's all about. Martin Odegaard's level is continuously improving as well. And it feels like Lukonga's been a little bit left behind. And um, maybe his time at Arsenal is over. Maybe it's not going to get better. Maybe we need to cut our losses with Lukonga and let him go. Maybe it's for the good of the player if we let him go. But whether that's alone or permanently, I'm not sure right now. But what I am sure of is that this kid needs to play and he needs the confidence and he needs to get back to, to the levels that we all know he's capable of because he's shown that he can be incredibly controlling in the midfield. He's not the most physical. He's not going to go around smashing into people. But the way he used to dictate games for Anderlecht in comparison to what we're seeing now, he's a shadow of the player and something somewhere along the line has gone wrong. And I believe that it's it's probably a confidence thing. OK, that's Laconga. Fabio Vieira uh, in midfield. Um, what do I say about Fabio Vieira? So I was doing my player ratings. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to give you the player rating because then 
there'll be no point in you listening to the other show. But what I am going to tell you is that the rating pre-60 minutes and post-60 minutes was completely different. That's what I'm going to say to you. Um, because I didn't think he impacted the game in any way, shape or form in the first hour. Not at all. And again, I come back to that point I made a little bit earlier on. If you're not playing with the right players around you, I mean, look at the difference between Eddie Nketiah when he plays in the Europa League with Marquinhos and Nelson either side of him in comparison to when he plays with Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard behind him. It's a completely different thing. So you've got to factor that in. But I just thought he was lost in the, the first hour of the game. He, he physically couldn't really cope with the battle, which we know is, is probably one of his shortcomings, right? He's not quite physically as powerful as some of the other players in there and, and some of the players he's going to come up against. Um, but yeah, he didn't impact the game in the early stages, but obviously then provides two assists. And, and I don't really know what more you can ask from a player when he then pops up with two real key contributions that ultimately see you win the game. The delivery for the first goal, really good left-footed ball into a really dangerous area. Shocking marking at the back um, from, from Oxford United. It comes off Mohamed Elneny in the end. I think Tommy Asu tried to get something on it as well. And that breaks the deadlock and that kind of takes the wind out of Oxford's sails. But I think where you really saw his quality, so A, obviously on that dead ball delivery, but B, was when... He played Eddie and Ketia through on goal uh, for the second one. Eddie and Ketia rounds the goalkeeper, tucks it away beautifully. But the ball comes to Fabio Vieira. He looks up. He, he has a glance. He knows what Eddie and Ketia's intentions are. He knows what space to hit. And he works the ball into that space, Fabio Vieira, with the perfect weight. The perfect weight. A little bit more weight on that ball. The goalkeeper is favourite to get there. Um, not enough weight on the ball means that Eddie and Ketia has to check his run. Um, and, and obviously the timing of the ball is important as well, because again, that impacts what Eddie Nketiah has to do with regards to his run in order to stay on side. I think what we can see is that technically this guy is at an incredibly high level. That's what Arsenal have signed him for. That's what Arsenal have seen. That is what Arsenal uh, have looked at and, and then been attracted to. And that's why they've parted with around about 30, 35 million pounds to get him into the club. This is uh, an, uh, an adaptation period for him. You know, I think that it was a sign-in made very much with an eye on the future. Can he help us as a squad player now? Yes, they'll feel he can. And when you look at the fact that he has scored a few goals in, in the competition, various competitions, when he has played in the Premier League, I thought he's been pretty good as well. Again, with the first team around him, he's getting there. He's getting there. And, and as I say, he was a little bit anonymous for about an hour. But after that, I thought he really came into his own and he made two vital contributions where, OK, he didn't grab the game by the scruff of the neck, as people like to say here. But what he did do was produce two bits of quality with his left foot that ultimately led to goals and the goals that ultimately put us in a position where we're progressing through to the fourth round of the cup. So you got to give him praise. Um, but it's it's OK to say that he wasn't very involved early on. And again, what I'm struggling with and what I think a lot of Arsenal fans need to be doing now, and it's not for me to tell you how to support your club, but I think what we need to try and do, when I speak about myself anyway and, and how I look at it, is we need to try and differentiate when we look at players like Vieira in makeshift Arsenal teams. What is down to them and what is down to the team that they're in? So how much of them being anonymous or uninvolved, as I say, in that first 60 minutes is down to Fabio Vieira as an individual and the things that he's doing and how much of it is down to the team around him. 
Did Fabio Vieira do an awful lot different in terms of the spaces he was occupying, in terms of calling for the ball, in terms of the way he was pressing and defending and all of that stuff? Did he do an awful lot different in the first 60 minutes to what he'd done in the second? I don't think he did. I think he had quality around him that helped him. Um, you know, the minute Xhaka and, and, and Zinchenko came on and we were suddenly progressing the ball that little bit earlier and working it into Fabio Vieira when he was drifting into those spaces in between the lines, you saw a complete difference. So, you know, I'm um, I'm positive about Fabio Vieira still. I am. Uh, taking it on to Saka, Martinelli. Look, I'm going to blanket them with with one comment because I thought that both of them were enough of a threat for Oxford to be worried about. And that's what those two bring to you nowadays, right? People know what they're all about, especially Martinelli, the way he was sort of taking people on and, and trying to force the issue a little bit. You know what those guys are all about. Was it their best performances, though? No, it wasn't. I thought they were both a little bit below, probably weren't given 100%, um, maybe with with one eye on the game coming up at the weekend. I don't know, but they did enough. And and that's that's as simply as I can put it. Not going to really ride home on those or write home on those performances because I don't think that they warrant that much analysis. Eddie and Ketia, you know, again, the team wasn't producing in the first hour or so. Once the team started to produce a little bit more, Eddie Nketiah was in the right places at the right time and he scored goals. And we talk a lot about him being a finisher. We talked a lot about, you know, when it was when it was discovered that Jesus was injured, you know, when we were having those debates and, and discussions around whether or not Nketiah could fill those boots. One of the things I constantly said to you guys is that you might say that his build-up play is, is nowhere near as, Jesus's, as good as Jesus's, and that is an absolutely fair comment to make. But as a finisher... He's competent. Eddie Nketiah is a competent finisher and I'll have nobody tell me otherwise. And when you look at the goals he scored yesterday, the first one, he remains calm and composed, rounds the goalkeeper, slots it in. And the second one, the little dink over the onrushing goalkeeper was brilliant. And and that's that's a, a striker playing with confidence. That's a striker who now feels a sense of belonging. He doesn't feel now that he's the bit part that comes in. He knows that Jesus is out for a period of time. He knows that that role is his for now. And he's, he's delivering with goals. When you look at his goal record since he's come in the side, how can you argue that he hasn't? Do we lack a little bit in terms of our build-up play because he doesn't do as much of that or as well as Jesus can do it? Absolutely. But Gabriel Jesus's don't grow on trees. So we are where we are. I'm pleased with Enketia's contribution yesterday. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's take a, a few of your questions. I'll take two or three questions. And then what I'm going to do is just quickly move on to a little bit of transfer talk. I've got around about 10 minutes left. So I'll bring you up to speed with what's going on uh, on the transfer front, as far as I understand it. Um, obviously, I'm like you guys just sort of waiting for information to filter through, but I will share what I know, what I believe um, to be the case at the moment. Let's quickly take this one from Matt, who says, do you think Vieira would play better if he put on a little bit of weight? The technical skill is obviously there, but I think some extra time in the weight room would help him be more effective. I think I think that's, yeah, I think that's something that he needs. He needs to be more robust physically. I don't know if that's putting on loads of weight because I don't know if that takes away from his agility. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to, to strike those balances, I think, as a player. But I think there are there have been players in the Premier League who, who have had such brilliant technical ability that they've been able to put that conversation about their physicality to one side. One of them that really stands out to me, and listen, this guy is probably one of the greatest midfielders of all time and maybe 
um, you know, Fabio Vieira will never get there. But it's a good example. It's a good benchmark of, of what I'm trying to say. That's Luka Modric. I mean, look at the career he's gone on to have. He came into the Premier League. Everybody was saying he's too slight. He's too weak. He's not strong enough. But his technical ability and his football brain put him on a different level to other people. And then he was able to to almost, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Compensate um, with with his quality for the lack of, you know, uh, physicality. So in an ideal world, yes, Matt, I think Emil Smith-Rowe is a good example of a player that's put on a bit of weight and built himself up a little bit. And, and we then saw the benefits of that. So, yeah, there's an element of that. But some people just don't have the body or the frame for it as well. You know, we're all human beings. We're all made up differently. You know, for some people, putting on a bit of weight and a bit of muscle is not a bad thing. And it doesn't really affect them in terms of their pace and power. For others, it takes away a bit of the agility, makes them a little bit heavy. And that can be a problem. So you kind of got to assess that, you know, based on this individual case and, in an ideal world, looking at him from the outside in, that's the one thing that does slightly worry me. But I think um, I think Arsenal can can sort of bide their time a little bit with that, work out what the best thing is for him as well and, and sort of work towards. You don't necessarily have to be massive to be physically strong. Like Pakayo Saka isn't particularly big, but the way he uses his body and he's got that really strong core and low centre of gravity when he's protecting the ball puts him in a, in a really good position to do that. So, yeah. It's a good point, though. It's a good point. Uh, Jid says, many players were poorer than Lukonga last night, and those players have more experience in the first team than him. Why, then, was last night the straw that broke the camel's back? He hardly plays. I mean, for me, Jid, the jury's been out on Lukonga for a while. I've been looking at him for, for months and waiting for him to, to take it to another level. My judgment on Sambi Lukonga is not, based on last night. But the problem is, is that his opportunities at the moment are few and far between. And so whenever they do come along and he doesn't take them, that discussion is going to rear its ugly head again. The standards at Arsenal Football Club right now are very high, higher than they've been for, for a decade, maybe more. And so I don't think it's unfair to look at Lokonga and, and question and wonder whether he's good enough moving forward. But this is not scapegoating. I'm not scapegoating him, you know, not at all. I've just sat here and told you guys that I think for me, the biggest issue is confidence. I don't have any doubts about what he can do with the ball at his feet. I don't have any doubts about, you know, the player that we signed. I have doubts about the player he's becoming, probably because of a lack of confidence and a lack of belief in his own ability. And I don't really know what it what it's going to take to get him back on, on the right track. And that's why I'm starting to ask the question as to whether or not he has a future at this football club. It's not a, a criticism of the lad. It's not a or well, it is a criticism, but it's a constructive criticism because I genuinely want to see him flourish. And if that has to be somewhere else, then fine. Um, but at this moment in time, it's not really working. And I think that that is undeniable, if I'm being honest. Um, right. Let me just uh, let me just take uh, let me just bring you guys a couple of bits of information with regards to the transfer window. And then uh, I'm going to leave you to it. If I could just ask you, though, we've got around about 400 of you with us live right now. And there's only, what, 71 likes on the board? That is not good enough. That is not good enough, guys. Come on, leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you're listening on the audio, then please, please do uh, leave us a review as well. Okay, so just quickly on the transfer front. So Mikhailo Mudrik is said to be Arsenal's priority. Uh, Fabrizio Romano uh, came out and said uh, in a tweet, in a post, that 
Um, Arsenal were, yes, offered the opportunity to sign Joao Felix, but Mihailo Mudrik has always been the priority. He says that no fee has been agreed between the two clubs yet, but negotiations are still ongoing, which suggests that there is a willingness on both sides to find an agreement sooner rather than later. So not really any concrete news, but kind of encouraging words from Fabrizio Romano and various others that are close to this deal. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed on that one. Obviously, we've missed out on João Felix. Obviously, I'm a little bit disappointed by that because I had been a big advocate for the idea of that transfer on this very show. I don't really see how it works for Chelsea. I think this is classic scattergun, you know, approach from Chelsea in the transfer window. It's all over the place. They're always looking for the short term. They never look at the long term and they think that they're going to be sustainable um, in terms of their levels of success under Todd Bowley and under Graham Potter's management. It just isn't going to work like this. Um, João Felix could have come to Arsenal and could have thrived in an environment that is very, very strong, in a culture that is very, very strong, because all he would have had to do is focus on his own game. A bit like Martin Odegaard, you know, sort of did when he first came in, you know, it was a little bit different. Arsenal weren't in the place they are today, but they were moving in the right direction. Martin Odegaard was afforded that bit of time on loan first to kind of find his feet before the responsibility was really passed over to him to start taking the team forward. That could have been João Felix. He could have come in, sounded it out, got used to his surroundings and potentially joined the club uh, on a permanent deal in the summer and and been a real key part of our team moving forward. But it seems like Chelsea were the only ones willing to pay something close to what Atletico were demanding. Therefore, they've stolen a march. Therefore, they've landed the player um, or seemingly landed the player. I just don't see how that works for him. I just don't see how that works for them. I don't see them as an appealing prospect right now because of the the turmoil that they seem to be in. It just all seems um, a bit of a mess for me. It feels like Chelsea are panicking because of where they are. Listen, if Arsenal didn't feel the money side of it was was worthwhile, then fine. You know, I don't have an issue with that. I did say all along that I felt that, you know, what they were demanding, which was rumoured to be 15 million euros in terms of a loan fee, was crazy. And Chelsea have gone and offered much closer to that than we were willing. It's understood that Arsenal and United were uh, prepared to pay four or five million pounds in terms of a loan fee. Chelsea have gone up to 10. Chelsea have doubled that. Uh, to get this deal done, to steal a march on the likes of Arsenal and Manchester United, both of whom are building, both of whom are moving in the right direction. You've got to give Man United credit as well, as much as it pains me to do that. Eric Ten Hag knows what he wants. If he's going to bring someone in on the short term, it's going to be Valt Vekost to come in and do a job on the cheap without damaging his resources that he then would have available in the summer. That He doesn't want to eat into that. Jao Felix is a big resource drain. So unless you feel as though you're going to get that done, and then there's the potential or at least the scope to then make that into a potential uh, permanent deal, then then I don't really see the point. And as much as my heart was saying, get him, I understand why from a business perspective, it doesn't really make sense. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit disappointed. Uh, just to finish up, uh, Tony Sunshine says, Chelsea, that kid in school, always copying your work. It feels like that at the moment, doesn't it? Every time one of the big clubs is linked with a player, Chelsea comes circling just goes to show that they really do have zero idea what they're doing right now. Todd Bowley, um, just looking to sign checks. Does he think it's American sport where he can go into the draft and turn around a team's fortunes very quickly? I don't know. I don't, I really don't know. But anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Sorry, there wasn't that much time for questions. We will do 
uh, some more questions on the next edition of the show. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow unless any big major news breaks. And then we'll be back as soon as we uh, get the opportunity. So I'll see you all soon. Take care. Enjoy your day. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.